We've spent four weeks, this will be the fourth week, it's been a slow jam uh, through the story of David and Goliath. Heard of them? Anybody? Yeah, it's kind of one of our most famous stories in our book, uh, certainly familiar in our culture, uh, used for all kinds of things, almost always in sports, but, uh, but it's our story, and it's the story of God's power and uh, a shepherd boy's faith. Um, we started uh, three weeks ago, uh, we met this uh, giant named Goliath, he was a fearsome and, and fearful guy, he uh, came out uh, to basically challenge a hero, a champion from Israel to fight him and whoever won, the other army would submit to the winner. Um, Israel had no takers, they had someone who was meant to be the taker, he was the tall guy, their king, a guy named Saul, uh, who's kind of fallen out of favor, not kind of, he's fallen out of favor with the God who put him in the chair, in the throne. And so uh, he's, he's not going, no one else is going. For 40 days, this giant comes out and challenges Israel to fight, and they fight not. Until this one day, uh, Uber Eats gets called, and uh, this kid David is sent by his father Jesse to bring sandwiches uh, to the front lines, and uh, it was bread and cheese, but you get the point. Anyway, uh, uh, he gets there, and, and, and uh, it was on the time of day, twice a day, Goliath would come out and make these taunts, and he got there just in time to hear them. The rest of the army was up on the hill, and they walked away. David stood and listened, listened right? And he's like, how, how dare you? <laughs> how, who is this clown? And how does he defy the armies of the one true God? He, he comes back and has a conversation. Someone overhears it, lets Saul know. And, and the next thing we see, uh, David is in Saul's tent, um, uh, basically applying for the job. Hey, man, uh, no one else will fight this guy. I'll go. Remember what Saul said? Perfect. You're exactly what I was hoping for. Is that what he said? No, he looked at this teenager. You had to be 20 to serve in the army of Israel in this period of history. Uh, so David wasn't there. He, he probably wasn't old enough. Uh, and and uh, so, so he's there, and, and uh, uh, he's this kid, and, and, and Saul looks at him and says, nope, you're not our guy. Uh, that guy out there is nine and a half feet tall. You're a punk kid. Uh, he's been fighting for 20 years. You're not even 20 years old, okay? Uh, no way, no how, not happening. Remember what David did? Oh, thank you, King, for this opportunity. You're so gracious. Uh, you know, God bless you as you seek for your champion. Is that what David said? No, he steps in. and he's, he's, uh, Maybe even Saul's turning to leave, and, and he's like, hey, King, hang on a second. I've been a, a shepherd all of my life, and uh, there's been many times where I've had to fight uh, beasts that would seek to take from my flock, bears and lions. And every time that I've fought one of them, God has given me the victory. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, listen, man, bears, lions, giants, they're all the same to an all-powerful God. And, and if I can take care of them, uh, I have faith that he will use me to take care of that clown down in the valley. Huh? Saul tries to hook him up with some of his armor. Everybody remember that part? Yeah, and then we get to where we are today. I'm going to try to get through this whole thing. Everybody's like, oh, no, it's going to be one of those. I'll stop on time, mostly. We left him here at the brook. David has said no to the armor of Saul, and he's run down to the valley. On his way, he stops. And uh, in verse 40, it tells us that he took his staff with his hand as he left, and he chose from that brook five stones, smooth stones, not the kind you skip with like the flat ones that we think of when we think of smooth stones. We're talking tennis balls here, big ones. And he puts those five rocks in his merce. Uh, 
shepherd's pouch. Anyway, uh, uh, his sling was in his hand, and uh, he runs off or heads off down the valley where no soldier has ventured for 40 days. Here comes this kid, five rocks, one sling, and a shepherd's crook in his hand. Let's go, right? He gets down there, and he's going to meet with Goliath. Can I play a song? When I was a kid, it uh, doesn't matter if you say yes, it's happening. When I was a kid, um, one of my uh, favorite parts of church was song time. Now, in our day and age, we have all this sophisticated technology and talented people to bring it to us. We put all these great songs next door uh, on the screen for your kids. they got a whole team that dances. Sometimes they dance here in our services. Uh, but we didn't have that back when I was a kid. Who remembers? Flannel graphs and and stinky basements and churches, right? That's what we had. And we had this one guy, he'd come to every class and play the same song for every, every grade. Uh, and that was it. We'd had the one song, and that would be it for the day. My favorite day was David and Goliath Day, because he would play this song. I think Johnny Cash wrote it. You'll see why. Uh, but this is the story of David that we've been studying. Aren't you excited? Who's excited? Oh, you got to be excited. Here we go. Uh, There's some motions, I'll teach you them later. It goes like this. Only a boy named David, only a little sling. Only a boy named David, but he could pray and sing. Pretty good so far, right? Yeah. Only a boy named David, only a bubbling brook. Only a boy named David and five little stones he took. All right, here's the fun part. Who's ready for the fun part? Now picture Mark, I'm six years old, ants in my pants, right? They didn't have all the letters and diagnoses back there, but I had all of them. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I was the pastor's kid, and they were like, we gotta try to control Mark today. So they gave us these motions, right? And I would take the motions and just go way over the top with them. And so the next motion, everybody ready? It's not one of these slings, it's one of these slings, right? They would swing it. Oh, can you just picture six-year-olds in a room, right? And all these kids are swinging their arms and they're trying to get close to their friends so they can get them in the, in the radius of the swing. And we're, come on, try it, it's fun. And, and we're just swinging, right? Yeah, there you go. So uh, it goes like this. And one little stone, swing, swing. It went into the swing and the swing went round and round. Some of you aren't swinging, it's hurtful. It's hurtful when I don't see you swinging. And one little stone went into the sling and the sling went round and round. Here's my favorite part. Kids just lost their minds on this part. It's just two words. And round and round and round and round and round and round and round. Place would come unglued. (laughs) Then one little stone went up in the air. The other fun part. Everybody ready? Try it. It's fun. And one little stone went up in the air. And the giant came tumbling down. All right. Loved this story as a kid. Loved hearing about the giant and the shepherd. And I loved uh, reading the book with my, my parents. They would come into my room and get out the golden book of David and Goliath. And just love this stuff. But uh, I had never reflected on the words of that song. Um, I was a little kid. I was just trying to get to the motions, right? But I love whoever wrote that song. They took the time to, to really capture what was happening here in the story. The first word of the song is repeated over and over again, only. Only a boy. Only a 
And then there's another word, a little slang. Only a boy, only a slang. The word little is over and over in there. Little stones, little slang, little boy, right? You're picking up on what the songwriter's trying to put down. This wasn't a fair fight. It was a mere child compared to the seasoned soldier. Now, he, he didn't have a bunch of weaponry. His foe did, but he's just got a leather strap and a pouch on it. He's got some rocks that he had only just picked up from the, the little creek that was in the floor of the valley. That's what he's coming with. But guess what? He had more than enough. Why? Because his God went with him. And his God was way bigger than any bear or any lion or any giant. And that's, that's the point of the story. Fragile, beatable, this kid had no business picking this fight, but he knew that God would fight for him. You know, my job as a pastor, I hear about all kinds of giants. Uh, health ones, prayed with someone just last night at our Saturday unplugged gathering. Uh, she's going in for brain surgery on Tuesday. Pray for Kim, okay? Uh, we talk a lot about health issues and financial issues and relationship issues. People uh, on the regular have their lives fall apart, right? Or someone they love, their life is falling apart. And I hear about it and ask, you know, get asked to you know, pray for these things. And absolutely, uh, I write my encouragements. I empathize or sympathize, however I may be be able to be a part of that conversation. But at the end of almost every email or text, you know how I finish? With this assurance. God has got this. Like even if it doesn't work out like you hope. God has all things in his sovereign, capable, divine hands. And he will see us through. If he's not gonna pull us out of it, he'll pull us through it. Then I put the uh, prayer emoji. Come on, who's wearing out the prayer emoji these days? Anybody? Love me some emojis. You don't have to type as much. Sometimes I'll triple it up. Triple prayers, whoa! But that's what I end my communication with. Hey man, God's got this. I'm praying, but we trust in him. This is the story of David and Goliath. And this is where we find ourselves as the two soldiers meet. It says in verse 41, the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. Remember, his shield was so big uh, they needed one guy in the army that's his whole job, probably the size of some of our double doors. I mean, it was a big old piece of metal. Uh, and so these two guys come walking down, and they're, they're, they're walking down because it's finally happened. Someone is leaving the, the hill, the protection of the hill from the Israeli army, and they're coming down to finally fight them. Now, it's, it's a distance. Like, I, I've been there. It's, it's like, you know, a mile, a half a mile. It's, it's a long way. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not great with measurements, but, uh, but it's a long way. And if you've ever looked at someone from afar, you don't really know what you're looking at until you get up closer, right? And so we can kind of assume as Goliath gets closer and closer to David, his foe, He's just like, what? Are you serious? You sent the Uber Eats guy? I'm going to fight him. Uh, it, it, it starts out this way. There's two, there's two sections to this, this text as we finish the fight. Um, there's smack mode and then attack mode. We're going to get to the fight, but like every good movie that has fight scenes in it, there's always the speech. Has anybody noticed that? The two people always square off and, and say the stuff they're going to say before they tangle. 
Some of my favorites are in the Rocky movies, right? Like Rocky, who could forget Rocky IV? Dolph Lundgren plays the, you know, the bad guy. He's the Russian fighter named Drago, right? And then their first fight, you know, Rocky's, it's, a, it's an exhibition, and Rocky's just kind of, you know, and he walks up there. That's my Stallone. Anyway, uh, but he walks up to Drago in the fight, and he, he's like, puts his hands out for them to, to dap, and, and Drago doesn't even move. And he just stares at him, and he says this, I must break you. Anybody remember this? I'm like 14 years old. I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Go, right? And if you remember the movie in that fight, Drago does break him, but then Rocky, you know, turns on the, uh, you know, the music and goes and, and, you know, carries trees through the mountains of Russia and he beats him the next time. Anyway, watch the movie. It's a lot of fun. All right. uh, (laughs) But they're going to taunt each other before they fight, uh, before the greatest first round knockout ever. Goliath's not even going to get a punch in, but you'll see. So here's smack mode. Goliath goes first. And this is what he says. He sees uh, David and he immediately disdains him because uh, he was just a youth, although ruddy and handsome in appearance. He gets that a lot. David must have been a looker, right? He always gets that. Uh, but again, D- uh, Goliath's looking at David and he's like, seriously? You've sent me a teenager? I am not scared. And so he says this. He says to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Uh, David's carrying that shepherd's crook. And, uh, and you know, maybe he was just commenting on that's your only weapon. Doesn't see the sling, apparently. So he's got a merce on and, and a, you know, a crook, a shepherd's crook. And he's like, really? You're going to fight me with that? Am I, maybe he's saying, am I a dog? Are we going to play fetch? You're going to throw me some sticks and we'll just you know, play fetch down here in the valley? What? Uh, but he's unimpressed and he goes on and tells, just doesn't tell us the rest of what he says, but he says the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now when we, in our world, when we hear curse, we go through the seven words you can't say on television and uh, I'm not saying that those were the words that were used here. In fact, I'm pretty sure they're not. The Hebrew word that is used here for cursed is the Hebrew word kilel. Everybody say kilel. Kilel is this word that means uh, basically small, insignificant, weak, and unable. Had, Goliath was just describing what he saw. You're nothing. You, you, don't, you don't belong in the same ring with me. And, and he curses David Uh, by his gods. Good news in that department. Um, David has the promise that was given to his uh, great, 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 however many greats, grandfather Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, who in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, was promised this from God. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we know that's through Jesus. But, but uh, God's already, way back at the beginning of the entire nation's history, he's already said, hey, Abraham, all your descendants, anybody curses them or me, uh, I'm going I'm to mop the floor with that guy. So David's got that in his mind. But uh, um, uh, perhaps as, as, as the Philistine is cursing David in the name of his gods, um, David's like, whatever. Because David knows that the Philistine gods have no power at all when it comes to the one true God. Everybody look at me. There is one true God. That's it. And we love our brothers and sisters in the other religions, but they are on, they're barking up the wrong tree. Their God is not real. Our God is. There's not many roads leading to you know, the same spot. There is one God. And he has one mediator, one champion. His name is Jesus. He's the Son of God. 
He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the one true God, his Father, except through faith in him. David knows this. He's been praying the Shema, the prayer of Israel his whole life. There is one God. He's our God. And so you can curse me in the names of your gods, but I don't believe in them because there's no power behind them. One of my favorite stories in the book of 1 Samuel, we preached it last year uh, sometime uh, as we were going through the beginning of this book. In chapter 5, the Ark of the Covenant of Israel, which is kind of the the physical emblem of God's presence on earth at the time. Uh, It's been taken into battle against the Philistines. It's one of the first fights they ever had, Israel and the Philistines. And uh, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, wicked, wicked priests, read the book, uh, they bring this box in. The box, the, the, the Israelites are, are judged by God for the wickedness of Hophni and Phinehas and the rest of the nation. Uh, the box of God, the Ark of the Covenant, is taken by Phil- the Philistines as kind of their trophy. And they bring it all the way back to one of their towns and they set it in the temple of one of their gods, one of their most powerful gods, a god by the name of Dagon. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite stories in the whole book. The box is in there, and overnight, the priests of Dagon leave it, and then they come back in the morning. Anybody remember what happened? There's an idol, the idol that they worshiped for Dagon. Uh, it fell over in the middle of the night and was laying prostrate before the box of God, yeah. all right? And, and, and the Philistines' God was worshiping all night long uh, at the feet of the, the, uh, the, the physical presence of the one true God. So they set them back up, stupid kids, running around in here, probably knocked it over again. Uh, but then they come in the next morning. Anybody remember what happened the next morning? Idols in the same spot, except right on this morning, no head, it's been removed, and no hands, those have been removed as well. They are set neatly on the threshold of his temple. Uh, I'm guessing pointing out, uh, because God has a great sense of humor, and he's like, hey, this clown, this, this clay clown that you worship, uh, there's nothing in his head, there's no power in his hands, I am the one true God, and this is when the Philistines are like, oh, maybe we've kind of you know, got out over our skis a little bit here. We've uh, probably made a mistake. And if you read the rest of the story, they absolutely did. And they returned the Ark of the Covenant of God, impressed by, believing in the power of the God, even more than the Israelites did. The Philistines are like, take the box. Uh, your God's more powerful than ours. So here's David being cursed by this Massive Philistine in the names of dead gods. And uh, uh, he, uh, well, he's just taking it. And then, and then uh, Goliath does what all these fight movies does. He, he calls his shot. He makes his prediction. Again, we can't do this without going to one of the Rockies. Here we go. Rocky three. enjoy. Clubber Lang as played by Mr. T. What's your prediction for the fight then? Prediction? Yes, prediction. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Come on. Does anybody remember that one? Okay. Not Rocky fans. Noted. All right. Uh, yeah, that was his prediction. Pain. Here's Goliath's prediction uh, for the fight with him and David. The Philistine uh, says to David, come to me. Come here, buddy. And in between the lines, he's saying, and I'll kill you. And then when I'm done killing you, because you deliver for Uber Eats, I'm gonna leave your body out in the field so that the birds of the air and the beasts of the field might eat of it. This was disgrace upon disgrace. I'm gonna kill you, that's disgraceful in battle, right? But on top of that, I'm not gonna give you a, a hero's burial. 
I'm just going to leave your carcass out here for food. And that was Goliath's best shot. Nine and a half feet tall. What am I, a dog? We're going to play fetch? I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to leave you laying right here. Now, let's pause for a second and not go too fast, because we all know the story, and we want to get to the end. It'll be fun, right? But let's pause for a second and picture ourselves in David's shoes right then. There might be some among us having heard what Goliath has said. No one else is hearing this, by the way. They're up on the hills. This is just a personal conversation. And there might be some among us who, upon hearing and seeing, uh, Goliath couldn't see David from afar. David couldn't really appreciate it. I mean, he looked pretty big, but now, has anybody done that? Have you ever walked up on someone and said, I thought you were big, but you're big, right? I love it when you come up to me and say, I thought you were fatter than you are. Anyway, I appreciate that when you say I'm thin. That was a hint. Say that more often. But uh, yeah, we can get close to people and it's like, oh, this is worse than I thought. And, and uh, perhaps, you know, a lesser person, a less faith-filled person might have been like, hey, my bad. I really thought I wanted to do this. Uh, but, you know, Saul, I'm going to go back to my, my Uber job and, and we're going to deliver more sandwiches. We can see that, perceive of that. But that's not what happens. And we're going to find out why. Because it's David's turn to go next. He starts with a weapons check. He looks at the Philistine and he says, hey, man, I notice you've uh, come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. Look at you. You're like a literal army on legs. You, know, you got everything, all the cool stuff. He says, that's great. You're armed, every part of you, except the part that I'm going to hit with a rock here in about five minutes. But yeah, you're impressive, but not so impressive that I'm not going to fight you. Why? Because I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, who, uh, whom you, bonehead, have chosen to defy. That's David's opening line. Nice armor, nice weapons, you're toast. Because I'm coming, you into the, coming to you in the name of the highest power in existence. Names have power. Did you know that? Like, if you know the right name, you can get into places you couldn't normally get into. Has anybody got a friend like that? Like, you get in their world, and you're a nobody, but if, if you're with them, you're a somebody, right? I've gone to that party where I've walked in, and someone stopped me at the door. Wait a minute. I don't recognize. Who are you? I'm with so-and-so, your boss. Ha-ha! Now, how you like me now, right? Now, uh, uh, you know, then the red carpet comes out and we're all, all buddy-buddy, right? Because they figured out who I was with because there's power, there's authority in certain names. There is no higher power and no greater authority than the name of the Lord our God, the, the Lord of hosts. He is by far exceedingly and abundantly Above anything we can ask or think, the highest power in existence. And it's in his name that David comes to fight Goliath. David knows that God will do his fighting for him. Again, going back to the Torah, the, the law of Moses. As, as a studier of, of, of God's truth for his people, David knew that in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, God had promised Israel after it had left uh, Egypt and had begun its uh, you know, quest for the promised land. Hey, man, if you go into a fight, I go with you. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, um, 
uh, your servant, uh, where am I? Yeah, there it is. When you, there it is. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, or uh, a guy who is as big as a horse and larger than you, right? As you see these forces, you shall not be afraid of them. Why? Because they're not scary? They're terrifying. But even though they're scary, you won't be afraid. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you, the same God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. As you're facing your giants in life, just remember the story of the Exodus. A bunch of slaves overcame their owners. The, the greatest power in the region in that period of history was overcome, not by one Israelite swinging a sword or defending anybody. Moses came in, God did uh, you know, 10 plagues, and in the last one, the Pharaoh of Egypt says, get these Jews out of here because their God is making a mess of my country. And then he had second thoughts. Who remembers that? And he chases them down to the Red Sea and God parts an ocean. And Israel walks across and the armies of Israel, or excuse me, of Egypt are defeated by the armies of Israel. No, they're slaves. They got nothing except what they left with. And God miraculously delivers. It's the same promise that we are to invoke as we face our giants in this day. The God who is with us goes with us again. He's already done this. Anybody here last week? And as, as he's kind of given his resume, David's kind of reporting, hey man, here's all the ways that God has given me the victory before. Lions, tigers, bears, oh my. No, just lions and bears. But he says, every time I fought you know, a, a carnivore, someone who would, you know, uh, an animal that would threaten my flock, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd hit him with my, my, my sling or however I did it, and then I'd walk up and, and I'd grab them by the beard and I'd, I'd take them out. And, and I know that I've got no business defeating these large beasts of prey, but God allowed me to do it. And so listen, for God, lions, bears, giants, no difference. Let's go. If he's with me, none can be against me. David knows what he needs. It's his God. And you know what God provides when he is in his presence? Anybody here going to lunch after this? Okay, just three of you. Thanks for fasting, the rest of you, apparently. Great. All right, uh, pray for me while you do. Uh, get it in. Uh, uh, some of us go to lunch. Uh, anybody got a favorite place that they like to eat? I, I don't do mine necessarily based on food. I do mine based on familiarity. I like to be norm when I go into a restaurant. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like Norm from Cheers. You know, I, I, like them, I like them to see me at the door and start my order right then, right? My most recent place is down the road here. It's a Mexican joint. My server is a, just a sweet young lady named Viviana, Vivi. And Vivi meets at, me at the door, and she just looks at me and says, would you like to sit in my, my section? I'm like, yeah. Would you like the same? She asks me that every time. Would you like it the same? I'm like, Vivi, go. And here's why, she, here's why I love that, because... I'm not like some of you. I don't order off the menu. I like it the way I like it. So when I order fajitas, don't put my lettuce and sour cream on the same plate with my beans and rice. That sucker's hot. It's going to melt my lettuce. It's going to you know, make a mess of my... I'm going to have sour cream soup. I don't want that on the hot plate. Put it in its own bowls, right? And so I'm prescribing. Don't give me those nasty peppers. What are you doing with the peppers? That stuff's gross, right? Give someone else my peppers. I want extra onions on my fajitas because that's the proper way to eat those things. Who's with me? Anybody? I want this here, that there. I want it to come out this way. I want, you know, this. With my, and it's just this whole thing. And long ago, Vivi figured me out. 
And she just has to look at me now. And she knows what to order. She's punching it in. I'm out of there in 20 minutes. Some of you might want to hang out with people. I want to go get done and get gone, all right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I have confidence in the presence of Vivi. Because she's done this before. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Yeah, we can have confidence in the God who is able. Because in his presence we can know he's done this before. And we can see him do it again. David then calls his shot, just as Goliath has called his. David's going to go, but he's going to just make, you know, anybody ever been in like a, a taunting match with someone? And, and the one person says his thing, but the next person comes over the top and says something so much better. That's where David goes. He says, this day, verse 46, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I love that he starts with that. He knows what's going on here. We're going to fight, but I'm not going to really fight. God's going to deliver you into my hand. I'm going to stand there and do what I know to do, but he's going to use that, and I will overcome you as a result of God being in my favor. That's primary. And then he says, here's the part I'm going to play. I'm going to strike you down, and I'm going to cut off your head, enjoy your lunch, and I will give the dead bodies, not just of you, which is what Goliath threatened, right? I'm going to take your body, and I'm going to leave it here in the field, and the birds and the beasts. It's going to be delicious. But he says, I'm going to give the dead bodies, plural, of the host, and he points up to the hill behind Goliath. My victory is going to be in all y'all. I'm going to take you out first, and then I'm going to take everybody on that hill out, me and the guys behind me. And I'm going to leave all you Philistines on the battlefield for the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And I'm going to do this. Why? So that everybody can know that Israel rules. Is that what he says? I want everybody to know that I'm David. Hear me roar. Right? Is that what he says? No. We're going to do all of this. God's going to go before me, and, and he's going to win the fight, and I'm going to do my part. Why? So that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, but by his power. And he finishes this, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Love that. That's a Hebrew uh, statement there, the battle is the Lord's. It seems like it's just like this you know, specific battle. He might even be speaking in the future tense, the battle will be the Lord's once we start fighting. That's not what he's saying. He's like, we haven't even started yet, and it's already over. The battle is God's. If we could just figure that out, Christians, and not yet Christians, glad you're here. I trust you'll trust them soon. But if we could just figure that out, there's nothing happening in our lives that God did not know was coming, that he has not, if we are faithful to him, planned a route through. It may not be to our preferences. Anybody got some of those? Okay, it may not work out you know, in what we feel like is our best interest, but whatever besets us in this broken world, God goes with us. His power is, is complete. His sovereign is, sovereignty is sure, and he, listen, the battle is his. It's already done if we'll just stick with him. It's when we thought, you know, we think to ourselves, I'll fight. I'll do this on my own, or I'll trust in this other source for strength. That's when we get out of, you know, just out of the, out of the grace of God. Can I, can I just point out, I've talked about him the last four weeks, but let me just hit real quick the two main things that David has here. That, that's giving him the courage to say this. 
you know, uh, in, in shouting distance of this, this murderous giant. Well, what's he got? Well, first of all, obviously, he's got some, some passion, some fervor for his God, right? Like he cares enough to say what he said back on the hill. He cares enough, uh, you know, when, when the king gives him his initial no to be like, hey, king, seriously, you need to let me go. God's got this. He cares enough about God to walk down the hill and stand before the giant. He's doing it for God's sake, for his glory, and not for his own. He's not just got fervor for God, he's got faith in his God. We've already covered that. He trusts in God enough to act on his, or in his defense. And listen, when it comes to the, the, the giants that we face in life, we need both. We need big buckets of both. We need to have passion for our God. Now, it's, it's what fuels our faith for our God, and our faith for our God should fuel our passion for our God. The two go together, and off we go to fight whatever we have to face. So often, we're like the soldiers on the hill. Remember a couple days before when David first gets there? He's up on the hill, and all the soldiers come out early in the morning to make all of their noise at the Philistines across the, the, the valley. They stand up on their hill, and they're like, we've got spirit, yes we do, we've got spirit, how about you? Or whatever they said, that's dumb, that's not what they said. But they, they're woofing and yelling and slapping their swords against their shields until Goliath walks out and makes his taunt, issues his challenge. And then everybody who was so passionate just moments before is kind of, hmm. And cowers in fear. You know, a lot of Christians, they, they want the pump up, the mountain high experience, right? Give me all that emotion. But if there's no faith and no confidence to move forward after the noise has died down, it's just about a bunch of smoke, no fire. I think more often than not in the age that we live in, it's not the fervor part, excuse me, not the faith part that we struggle with because mentally we assent to the truths of God and we know what's right and, and we recognize that this is how it should be, but we just can't bother with it. We've got no passion. There's no, there's no desire in us large enough for us to move out of or move into the things that God would have us do for him. Like last week, I, I stood up here and I talked about uh, how reading your Bible four times a week has been empirically proven through some uh, you know, surveys that were done that uh, it, it changes how you live your life. You're, you're more likely not to suffer from depression and anxiety. You're more uh, you know, able to, to, to move around life and, and conquer you know, areas of sin and issues like that. You're, you're three times as likely to share your faith with someone. If you're just reading the Bible four times a week, and some of you heard that and like, wow, I totally believe that's true. And then you went home and you read your Bible zero times last week. Because you've gotten used to sitting in a room listening to a bozo like me tell you the truth and saying, yep, and then doing nothing with it because you just don't care enough to do what God would want you to do. It's not a matter of information, and it's not even a matter of confirmation in your hearts. You believe it. You just, all of us, I, I'm pointing the finger at you, let me put them back at me. All of us struggle with this proper balance of faith and fervor. You gotta have both. It's like a wheel that spins in the right direction. If you wanna move forward, forward, faith, fervor, faith, fervor, faith, fervor. If you wanna go backward, lose your faith. You'll lose your fervor, which will cause you to, again, lose more of your faith and lose more of your fervor. Everybody see how this goes? This is what David has that we should desire. Faith, fervor. Okay, enough about smack mode. 
Let me finish with attack mode. It's going to go real fast. Some of you are like, here we go. So here's the fight. Who's ready for the fight? <laughs> I love the fight. When the Philistine arose, he came near and he, and he drew near. This is actually the, the Hebrew word drew near means he just walked. And understandably, he's got all his stuff on. He's not running, right? He's just kind of walking towards David, uh, probably in supreme confidence. This is going to take no time at all. I'm going to cut this kid in half and, you know, we'll be the winners. So he's walking up there. Conversely, David runs quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I love this picture. David understands fighting, at least the way he does it. Uh, it, it is all contingent on him being in the right position at the right time to beat the right shot, right? Like, like some of you guys are hunters, and sorry everybody who's, you know, loves Bambi, but, uh, uh, you know, people who hunt, I don't, but people who hunt, they, they, they got to sit in the right spot for a long time until some game walks across in front of them so that they can take the shot that they need to take to be able to, you know, uh, do what they do when they hunt. That's how it works. And so David knows that. He's not going to fight Goliath hand-to-hand. Uh, he's the artillery. He's going to come in, and he's got some rocks in his merce, and he's going to swing one of them, and he's got to get this Goliath lined up in just the right way so that his shot can be as sure as possible. So he gets in that position. And it says that David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone, and it's very matter-of-fact here, but he slung it, and uh, has he done hundreds, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of times as he practiced in the fields. Uh, he did it again. And the, the stone, here we go, sure, David's ability and God's super ability moves that stone through the air at supersonic speeds, and it hits Goliath in the only spot. I hope everybody gets this. It's basically the only spot he's not covered. Everything's else, everything else is armor. He's got his face that you can hit. And up here where the helmet kind of crosses his brow, it hits him right here. Just shot of a lifetime. What a coincidence. How lucky was that? Come on. He knocks him out. It goes into the, 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 the Philistine's forehead so deep that he just falls face down on the ground. Like no staggering, no, you know, there's no like dramatic whatever. It's just bam, bam. And Goliath is down. <laughs> I love that David was active and, and agile and quick, wise even in how he fights. I, I think that's a prescription for how we should fight, right? Like we shouldn't just sit around and wait for God to do, uh, you know, despite us or, or without us. We should be busy doing the things that we know to do. Get in position for the victory to be sure, right? Take what we know and, and employ it. Uh, like all you who are uh, wrestling right now, fellas usually, but sometimes ladies too, if you're wrestling with illicit material on your computer, let me give you a great tip. Don't turn on your computer. That's your part. But I have, I have to have it. Okay, then load all of the software on it that would keep you from going to those sites. Well, that's a lot of work. Hey, hey, people, you want to get better? Put the work in. God wants to help you. Do your part. I'm almost done, sis. Here we go. All the rest of the fight, you know how it goes, right? So uh, he runs up on the, on, the, on the giant, and what's he do? He takes his own sword out of his sheath, right? And he uses this giant's massive blade, again, enjoy your lunch, to chop off his head, right? And when he chops off this guy's head with his own sword and holds it up, everybody on the Philistine hill is like, yikes! And everybody on the Israeli hill is like, yeah! And then exactly what David predicts happens. They chase the Philistines all the way back to Gath and Ekron, which were kind of the capital cities of the Philistine area, which is 
ironically, Gaza today, but uh, uh, it's all down there, right? And, and they chase them everywhere, and when they get done, you know, laying those guys out, they come back, they plunder the camp of the Philistines and take the spoils of war. David gets his sword, Goliath's sword. David also takes the head of Goliath as a trophy. Interesting choice. I have some trophies. One of them is a spelling bee trophy from third grade, uh, but it's not somebody's skull. David has a skull that he takes back with him and eventually puts it in his tent in Jerusalem. What have we learned from David and Goliath? Anything? How about this? We're all going to face giants in this life. I think you can overplay and, and maybe go too far sometimes with interpreting and, and applying God's word, but, but we can all agree that we face plenty of giants in our world, right? Some of them are in us, like our own flesh and desires for sin. We have to face those internally, right? Plenty of uh, external giants, uh, foes, uh, those uh, who would come against us and what we believe, scary stuff. But we all have this choice in facing whatever the giants are. We can cower and fail or in God's power prevail. We can cower and cave or in God's power be saved. So when we face the things that we fear, if we can learn nothing else from David, let's, let's remember to be feisty. Feisty in our faith in God fervent in our faith in God. Let's uh, remember that we have a champion. Everybody remember the first week, the word champion that was given for Goliath is this, this word in Hebrew that means the man in between. We have a champion. In this age, we know that his name is Jesus. And Jesus stands between us and with us in whatever we face. And he fights for us in the same way that his father uh, fought for David. Jesus uh, fought for us on the cross in the same way that David fought for Israel in the valley. I mean, he's gained for us his victory so that in life, as we face whatever we face, we have but to ask him, trust him, passionately follow him, and he'll lead us through.